Welcome to Worship Call with Bible teacher Buzz Lawbeck. Buzz is the pastor of Grace Chapel Bible Ministries located in Duncan, South Carolina. This ministry is dedicated to the verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word and discipleship programs aimed at strengthening the faith of God's people. Now here's today's message. This is the third day of the week in God's created order. The seventh day of November, 2023rd year of our Lord. And we begin this morning with George Witten of WorthyNews.com. Friends, run after it. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. When the term peacemaker is used, the initial thought is of someone who keeps peace between two opposing parties. A peacemaker solves dilemmas, often without the force of violence. Although the threat of violence is sometimes present, and to be used if necessary. When I was growing up, I watched a dozen of westerns where the sheriffs or the good guys were armed with Colt 45 Peacemaker. <laughs> How ironic that one of the most famous guns of the 1800s was named the Peacemaker. And rationally is simply, you can only have peace through strength. When Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Shah Shalom returns again. He will usher in the messianic age of Shalom. His strength will be on display as he rules with the iron rod. Interestingly enough, as I was studying the Hebrew New Testament, the word peacemaker has a completely different connotation than our understanding in English. The word peacemaker in Hebrew is the phrase Radfe Shalom. Shalom has a much richer meaning than simply the word peace. It can also mean completeness, prosperity, safety, contentment, health, blessing, and rest. The word rafe in Hebrew literally means to run after or to chase. So in Hebrew, it says to chase after shalom, to run after God's shalom, the one And one can only find God's shalom through our Shah Shalom, our Prince of Peace. Friends, let's strive to reach a new level of intimacy with our Lord. Let's run after a deeper knowledge of our Lord. And in doing so, we'll experience new levels of peace, contentment, blessing, and rest. With so much work to be done, isn't it good to know this is available to us right now? Through our Shar Shalom, your family in the Lord with much agape love, George, Badrevka, Obadiah, and Lena, and this is another fine day in the Lord. Father in heaven, we praise thee. We we thank you for a sense, a personal sense of destiny. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that over the hill is a kingdom. That is so great that, that, that it, it just staggers the imagination. All the things that you have for us. Let us not be anchored down with the, with the whoa, 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 is me mentality on this side. But let our eyes be fixed on the other side of that hill. And I pray, Heavenly Father, today, let our joy and let our happiness be motivated 
by our contentment in thee. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And we are we are studying today Luke eighteen nine. Luke eighteen nine. Let me read that passage again for you. Uh, the Pharisee and the publican. And he also told the parable to some of the people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you that this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And they were bringing, and um, and that's where we'll, we'll finish it up today on that one, if we even get that far. But Jesus is teaching about prayer. Remember, the first part of, of this narrative was about how we are to be persistent in prayer. And in this parable, we're instructed to be humble. So got two characteristics of prayer. Being persistent in it, not uh, and 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 uh, when we talk, say persistent, don't give up. Continue to pray. If if you don't hear a if you don't hear an answer of prayer uh, immediately, continue to pray. Continue to pester God, which God cannot be pestered. He wants His prayer, but also do it in humility. And what is humility? That's we'll talk a little bit more about that today. Humility is the right view of self in light of who and what God is. Every time that we every time that our attitude is wrong, every time that we get it wrong, every time that our life is in living unrighteously, is because we have a wrong view of God. Arrogance. We're talking about two people today we're going that uh yesterday and today we're talking about the contrast between two Different people, two different types of people. Jesus is talking to these people, and his warning is not just directly at the Pharisees and of uh, the Pharisees and the um, yeah Pharisees, the religious leaders, but to all of us, because we could get such we we can have a lofty view of self as we're growing in the Lord, as we're growing in doctrine. We start thinking that we're all that in a bag of chips when we're not. And we start looking down our nose at other people because they're not where we are. And we need to be careful. And this is the warning. Because arrogance, first of all, arrogance is a lofty view of self with no consideration of God. It's eyes on self with little to no thought of God. We mentioned it yesterday. We set our own standard of, of righteousness. Not God's righteousness. This is minus R. Plus R is God's righteousness. Minus R is our righteousness. It's our standards, our personal standards that we lift up. And we say, if I could be this, it's the, it's the if onlys in walking with the, it's the if, if onlys of righteousness. We set our, we set, um, we set our, our, standard 
And when we meet that standard, we say, what a good boy am I? What a good girl am I? When in fact, it still stands short of God's righteousness. And scripture says, pas adikia harmatia estin. All, uh, all, all unrighteousness is sin. Sin is missing a mark. Anything that falls short of God's righteousness, anything that's not of faith, and faith connects us with our God, anything that falls short of that, then it doesn't matter how, how high a standard that we meet. All our righteousnesses are as, are as filthy rags. Arrogance can come, can come in a form of self-aggrandizement. I'm number one. I'm number one. I actually see that. With, see that it kind of makes me cringe just a little bit watching the, the replays of, of of the football game. You know, oh, all these kids thinking, oh, number one, and they got their little little hand signals, and oh yeah, I'm all that and all that, and it's just. Um, but I think of that, and then it can also be self-abasement. It doesn't have to be self-aggrandizement. Uh, but on the other hand, it could be self-pity. It could be self-abasement. That feeling sorry for oneself because of the thought that, that God has forgotten him. Job was sinning in this way. Job wasn't arrogant in one way. He was arrogant in the other way. That God forget me. That God has forgotten me. That God is um, somehow... Um, that God is 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 abandoning me and all this stuff. Um, it's it's even looking at God being unjust and unfair that I don't deserve the plight that I'm under. This is also a an arrogance that that um, you're looking eyes on self and not upon God. It's me focused and me driven. So God. In our thoughts, in our decisions, in our actions, in everything that we do, we must, it must, we must be God-centered. It must be God-thinking, God-thoughts of all times, regardless of the valley or the hills that, the hills that we're climbing or valleys that we have to go through. It's always who and what God is. Love in Job. Job in his, his misery at Job 38. And the Lord says, the Lord finally shows up in a whirlwind and he says, Job, you know, who, who are you to, to, you know, to darken counsel without words? Gird up your loins and I will sit here and you will teach me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And, and he goes on from there. You read Job 38 and he asks question after question. God asks question after question after question after question. And all the questions were the same thing. You, you Lord, you Lord. You, Lord. You, Lord. And the conclusion is that God is God. And that's all that Job needed to know. So there are three skills that involves arrogance, which renders our prayer life ineffective. And, uh, and let me make that as a point, that um, that arrogance, arrogance um, renders the prayer life ineffective. Um, an arrogant person, uh, the, being arrogant, again, when those two two things, self-abasement, self-aggrandizement, your prayers do not go above the ceiling. God will not 
hear your prayers. Let's take a look at these skills of the arrogant and see uh, and see what they are. I mentioned them yesterday, but we'll uh, today I put them I'll put them on the board for you today. All right. So there are three skills that involve arrogance, which renders the prayer life ineffective. Number one, self-deception, lying to yourself, lying to yourself. You're not, it's not on a base of truth. You come up with your own brand of truth, like like it is with 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 your righteousness. You 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 define what truth is, and then you begin to lie to yourself. Number two, it's self-justification, proving how righteous I am. You're, you've set out to prove yourself, and it may be to the point where you run other people down. You cut other people down in order to exalt yourself. And then, um, and then you, you set to prove to others. Uh, you know, I, I kind this, this one kind of humors me sometimes because I'll have people knowing that, knowing that I'm a Christian and you, you may have this too. And it's sometimes it's funny because they'll come on the attack and they'll, They'll throw something at you and, and, um, let's say, well, the Bible, you know, the Bible is, is, you can't really trust the Bible. And I'll get that and I'll say, oh, really? You can't trust the Bible? Why do you say that? Well, you know, it's been written by the, by men and you can't trust men and, and it's been, it's so long, it's been translated so many, same old mantra all the time. And, um, my question is, are they attacking me personally? That's a question that you have to ask. Are they attacking me personally? Or are they trying to justify their own bad decision? Why do they come to me? I had a young young guy come up to me uh, or, or was talking. And he was he brought to me, he's, he was arguing about, he had a boyfriend. This, yes, this young man had a boyfriend. And I said, I go, and I was telling him, how wrong it was, and he would he would be arguing with me, and I said, "Well, the Bible is the Bible. There's not the Bible says that's out of design." And however, I was however I was presenting the truth to him, and finally I said, "You know why? You, you know why?" And he just came right out and brought this out for whatever reason. And I says, "I go, son. You know why? You know the you know why I know that you know that this is wrong." He goes, "Why?" Because you know it's wrong because you're trying to justify it to me. You're trying, you come to me trying to get me to agree with you. I can't agree with you. And um, so anyway, and number three on this, number three is self-absorption. I am the hero of my own story. I am all of that and a bag of chips. I am this and all of this and my own mindset it come back to that song i think of george benson uh when it comes to arrogant and whitney houston did it and and the song is beautiful and the song is powerful in in its rhythm and and the way it's presented but it's uh the greatest love you remember that the greatest love whitney houston george the greatest love is easy to achieve. Loving yourself is the greatest love of all. You remember that one? And Whitney Houston could really shell out the song when she said, but you're 
listen to the words. It's crazy. Loving yourself is the greatest of all, all, all loves. Oh my goodness. But anyway, so these are the skills that a righteous man, um, or that an arrogant, these are the skills that a religion, I'm sorry, religious man, usually religious or one steeped in legalism. When I use the term religious, I don't mean uh, um, I don't mean it in a a spiritual term, but I mean it in a legalistic term. That uh, and legalism is is exalting yourself by your own picking yourself up by your own bootstraps. So the antithesis to arrogance is humility, and humility, which is the right view of self in light of who and what God is. First Peter. 5.6 says that, therefore, humble yourself under the, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. And, um, it, it is eyes off of self. It's, it's not being self-focused, but being God-focused. It is the center of your life is not yourself. And, and that's that's a breakthrough in life because as a baby, we are the most selfish people in the world. For a baby, it's everything about me, myself, and I. But as you begin to grow and you begin, you begin to take your, you get to a point where you realize that you're not the center of your own universe. So whether one is a low status or a high status, one can be arrogant and displaced from his relationship with the Lord. So Jesus deals with both the extremes. One is very self-focused. And, thought, and, and though he is praying to God, his eyes are on himself. See, he's praying. But his prayers, isn't going, his prayers are not going above the ceiling. Why? Because the very act of prayer, it's like believing. Believing in of itself is not is not a spiritual skill. Believe it. I believe. Therefore, um, I believe. Therefore, God needs to bless me, or what have you. It's believing is not a spiritual skill. Neither is praying. When these things, or Bible study, or anything else, taken in doctrine, uh, praying, um, all these things that we do, our doing. When it's, when it's disconnected from our right view of God are nothing but wood hand stubble. We, our, our eyes are off God. Um, t- taking in Bible doctrine, at best we become, uh, academically arrogant. You know, I know all this, therefore I, you know, I study my Bible. And just like this Pharisee, I study my Bible, I fast, I pray, I'm, I'm all this. But yet, very little, it's all I, my, and me, and very little. Why do people, why can people study Bible doctrine all the time and it has no effect on their, they, they, they look like the world, act like the world, and they still struggle? Because they do not have the right view of God. All right? And so, 
But and and the other side of the fence, so you have this arrogant guy, and you have the humble, which is this this guy, um, the guy he's standing next to. Luke eighteen nine, and he he also told a parable to some people who trusted in himself that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The So the subject of the parable is the arrogance. Uh, is, is the arrogance. It is a uh, where are you parable. It's it's for you. It's for my. This, this, this parable, this teaching is for you and I. It's something valuable that we must ask ourselves because arrogance can blind ourselves. And and when we're blind, our our path um, onward and upward is cut off. It stops short. And uh, so, for arrogance can blind one of his own status before the Lord, and will have eternal ramifications. How is that? Because in First Corinthians eleven thirty one, but if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So we have to get our eyes off of our own standard and place them on God's standard. So if I think myself righteous on the basis of my own standard, then I'm going to fall short. And if and we can we can be that way all the way up to the end of our lives. And while we may be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we may come to the bema that we're all going to be judged at the at the judgment seat of Christ. And we may think, oh, I'm all that. I did that. Remember the the Jew that came to the Lord in, in, the, in that judgment and said, Lord, Lord, have I, you know, have I not did this and did this and have I not, um, have I um, not performed all kinds of miracles and this? And Jesus said to him, get away. I never knew you. Because his legalism, his legalism blinded him to a relationship with the Lord. If we're think, we've come to him not positionally, but we come legalistically. We have to have a relationship with the Lord and and all of our works go out of that, comes out of that, not as a means of our salvation. So even our works and the things that we do are not there to blind us from a relationship with the Lord or to to help us to pat ourselves on the own, uh, our own back. So these two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one tax collector. Pharisees were the experts of the law. They were your super legalists. And they were truly experts. They, were, they, were, they truly knew the word. Um, they had to be to be in that position. Um, but they worshipped not God, but they worshipped their own piety. And this is what legalists do. Legalists Legalist looks at their work and what they're doing to advance them. They need to hustle around 
hustle for God. It's a you know, sign I saw in a church. You know, the Lord is coming. Look busy kind of thing. And this is what legalists do. They set their own standard. They raise up to that own standard. And they deem themselves as being worthy of God. Going back to the Bema. There's going to be many disappointments there. Because they're going to stand before the Lord. And they're going to see all their good deeds. All their deeds made, and I'll say good deeds in, on their standard. They're going to see them get burned up. And they're going to stand there with nothing to show for a life that should have been lived for the Lord. They were, they were using their good deeds to bribe God. To bribe, to bribe, bribe God to, and, and, and to enter into a relationship with Him. And our works do not enter us into a relationship with God. Our works, again, our works is a product. They are a product of our relationship with God. So, and then there is the tax collector. And the tax collector here is, um, Telo, Telones. And a telones is one who collects taxes from the government. A tax collector. A revenue officer. And a tax collector was not a, an outwardly over... It didn't have to be licentious. It doesn't mean that he was chasing prostitutes or he did... It, matter of fact, a tax collector could be, could be living an honorable and moral life. He, um, he didn't have he he wasn't a sinner. Look at the view, in the view and the time in the, and this was written. What was a sinner? To us today, a sinner is one who who lives an immoral life. But uh, that's not necessarily a view of a a Jew of a sinner was one who did not follow Judaism. Did not follow the moral code of Judaism. They, um, they were, and if you were expelled from, from um, temple worship or synagogue worship, you certainly were a sinner. And tax collectors were considered unclean. They handled Roman money. They, um, and they did business with the Romans, so they were considered unclean. So they were not. Uh, they were they were rejected. They were excommunicated. Now, on the other terms, there were those tax collectors that exhorted more money than what they needed. Hey, if they um, they would they would go in and they would bid for a contract with the Romans, and um, and then they would go ahead up front. So uh, tax collectors were rich. They had a pretty good bank account, but they would pay for the. They, pay, they would pay for all the taxes for the next year for, the, for their people. And then they would make it their job for that year to go out and collect the taxes to um, restore their bank account. And they would, they would come up with whatever they could to extort money. Probably, you know, could not, it didn't have necessarily have to be every tax collector did this, but they were known to do this. So they were... They, they were looked down upon themselves on on the Jewish community. They were excommunicated from their society. So, what did they do? They hung around with people who um, who also <laughs> were excommunicated, who were considered sinners. So, 
whatever they were, um, they they hung around with that type of society. So Luke eighteen eleven through twelve. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself: God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay taxes of all I get. Okay, so he, he thought pretty pretty well of himself. And um, so here, coming up, um, here is a point of doctrine for you. If you think that you and God are like peas and carrots on the basis of what you do and your your do-gooder and your morality and your standard of righteousness, your self-righteousness, if you think that you and God are like peas and carrots, you are as far away from God as you certainly can be. And you may at some point be dotting all your, all your religious I's and all your sanctimonious T's and you may, you may be patting your back and may, and, uh, under some type of false humility. And for a while, but at some point, you may be a person also that would pick up the Bible finally. And maybe you've already been picking up the Bible, but you start recognizing. Sometimes the best thing that God can do for such a person is bring them and pull the rug out right from under them and bring them and humble themselves to Sometimes that's a, sometimes the Lord, Lord deals with people different ways. For some, he'll say, have at it. Go, you know, um, you know, and that person just gets richer and richer and richer and further and further and further away from God. He may be socked in his own self, self-righteous arrogance. For others, God may pull the rug out from under him and that sometimes that's the best thing that God can do in his blessing. Sometimes our prayers for others will will cause God to do just that. And that person realizing that he needs God. He realizes he's... And for whatever reason, when when we start getting into God's Word, and we take seriously our relationship with the Lord, we're taking in God's Word, we're praying, we've, we've got our spiritual priorities in line, and we begin to grow... Something happens. The God that at one point thought we were equal, that we thought that we were equal to, or or our drinking buddies with, that God begins to grow in our hearts as we grow. Grow. It's like, I, I take it like a, like this. If you look at that mountain, we got mountains around here, and if you look at the mountain, that mountain looks so small when it's so far away, don't it? But what happens when you get closer and closer to that mountain? That mountain is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you say, wow. That's God. When we, as James says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you guilty sinners. As you draw near to God, God becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And you become smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Then you begin to have a right perspective of God. And this is where this um, the Pharisees were. This Pharisee was. He was unable to look up to God. And uh, and Luke eighteen thirteen. But the tax collector, standing some distance 
away, was unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He would, and we talked about it a little bit, self-abasement. Is this self-abasement? Isn't he being arrogant? No, no, no. Because his view of self was, was in light of who God is. And recognize how big God is. He recognized how much of a sinner he is. There's another thing. When you're a spiritual baby, small sins don't bother you. When you're a spirit, when you're a, a when you, uh, when you are a spiritual baby, your your little white lies, your little thefts, the the little uh, the 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 little bit of gossip, the the little things. No, God's not interested in those little things. He's talking about the big things. When you draw near to God, you recognize even the smallest sins bother you. And why do they bother you? Because they offend the God that you love, even in the smallest way. The closer you get to God, the more light you have on your life. And every blemish shows. And and you know all sin is a defilement to God. And this is what what he's showing. Let me show you something else here. God be merciful. This is his uh, plea. And let's look at this word merciful. And we'll go to mounts for this. And this word, interestingly enough, is the uh, word that, halaskomai, uh, halaskomai, uh, and it's to appease, to render propitious, to expiate, I don't know what the word is, make an atonement or expiation for. Okay, propitiate, the word propitiation, it's the word used for propitiation. And it means to, that God would be satisfied. It's Christ who is a propitiation for our sins. It's his work upon the cross. When, when Jesus said it is finished, the Father looks down at the cross and the work on the cross, he says, I'm satisfied with that. He's propitiated. And I'm satisfied that that work, it qualifies that man might be saved through that work. And this is what the, this is what he's saying. He says, be merciful, be propitious for me. That, that I'm a sinner, that, that may my life be, may, may I be justified and, and, uh, a work that can be propitious that would satisfy you to bring me into a relationship with thee, if I'm saying that correctly. So, um, here it is that this man was asking, as in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, he's asking, he's seeking, he's knocking. And he's looking, he's put himself out of the way, recognizing that he brings nothing to the table. And he's looking for a He's looking for a means by which he can have that relationship with the Lord. You see, he did not hide his sin like the Pharisee. You see that 99.9% good that we are, that that makes us, it's 
It's not the 99.9% good that makes us right with God. It's the .0000001% and onward. It's that one tiny little speck of sin that condemns us. It's not about what we good, and it's not about the quality uh, of our good, but it's about the it is about that which is distasteful to God that condemns us. What do we do about that? And this is what this this is what this man this this publican sees. And Romans three twenty three says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let's go ahead and finish this off um, in our our scripture here. Be merciful. I tell you, this is Jesus. I tell you, I tell you, this is this is the righteous judge. This is Christ. This is the one that knows. He's not saying, well, this guy's this on the base of what I know. This is the judge. This is this is the one that the Pharisee said to him that only God can forgive sins. And um accusing him because uh, Jesus said to this one one fellow, "Your sins are forgiven you." And the Pharisees, Pharisees got onto him and said, "Only God can forgive sins." He, this is the Lord. He says, "I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted." What does that mean? That means a right view of God. That means you've got to know your God. That means that you've got to be in Scripture. That means you've got to be in prayer. That means you've got to be seeking. You've got to be asking. You've got to be knocking. So you can have that right view of God. Because as you go to Him, like, like that mountain, that mountain is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and you're going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Until it is God that consumes your life, and um, and that's when we'll be on our way. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity of fellowship in your word this morning. I pray, heavenly Father, that for eyes that see ourselves for as we truly are, may the Lord open the eyes of our hearts, and may the word of God be the mirror by which we correctly evaluate ourselves. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Another fine day in the Lord. Keep your armor on. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Lord willing, spirit guiding, wrap your penny. Be back here tomorrow. Thank you for joining us. You can hear this message again, as well as previous lessons, and get notes by visiting us online at www.com gchapel.org